universe always fucking knows, man. And putting my trust in it more and more. Like, it doesn't surprise me that you just said that because the whole theme of my morning with some of my shit that's going on in my personal life has been around putting myself in the other person's shoes to try to understand the words that were coming out of their mouth and their actions and where that must have been coming from. I don't believe, and I can't believe anymore, that humans are inherently evil. I don't think that people do shit just to be a fucking shithead. Yeah. I don't. I think that people do shit to hurt other people because they're lashing out and that's not the problem and you're not the problem and I'm not the problem, but they need help getting to that problem instead of just being thrown away. It's a big challenge to take on and it's a hard thing to accept, but it's happened to me when I needed it the most from one friend and I remember how much that that changed my life. And ever since that day, I've always tried to be that person for other people because Dude, you never know who needs it. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. If you're new to University of Adversity, welcome. All your regular listeners, welcome back. If you guys haven't already, as I always say, make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple. Our show comes out Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And when you subscribe, it's all free and you just stay on top of the show. And it really helps boost the rating of the show. So guys, today I have my man, Reno Minestrelli, such a good last name. Um, He's from the Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Mastermind that I'm a part of this year. And a lot of you guys listening, um, maybe you know, maybe you don't. I had to take a pause from the program because I wasn't able to get to the in-person summits in the States. So I just thought it made more sense to kind of put it on pause until that is possible. Hopefully, I'll be able to attend Sedona in October. But as of right now, I've had to miss the Austin one. And I've had to miss the um, the upcoming one in Lake Tahoe. But that being said, I've still met some amazing people, and Reno is one of these one of these people that he's just. I feel like we're very similar. He's a great dude, been through a lot of shit. Our lifestyles are very similar, and he's on a road of self discovery as well. We get into all kinds of different stuff about his story, psychedelics. Um, we were both hockey players. He's from. Um, Detroit out of Michigan so he's a hockey boy and uh, we we connected and you know we get along like you know like we've known each other for years so it's awesome you guys are gonna love this conversation two dudes having a chat and I'm about to hopefully get on his new podcast as well that uh, that's really exciting for him so yeah this is a great conversation and Reno's as cool and dope as they get so you guys will enjoy this Reno Minestrelli coming right up. All right, here we go. Reno, what's up, brother? What's happening, Lance? How you doing? Good, man. Had some technical difficulties. That happens, but I wanted to make sure that we had the sound going. So yeah. here we are. We're, we're, we got a little practice run. We got a little chit-chat, a <laughs> little catch-up. And I'm like, I'm like, we got to make sure that this sound is good before we get into the into the gold. So it's, it's all good, man. I wouldn't <laughs> want to, I wouldn't want to be on your show and sound like shit because then you're gonna make an asshole out of me. You never live that down. 
Yeah, but bro, you look good. So it doesn't matter what you sound like. On YouTube, you're going to look like a fucking rock star. This is good. We're fucking good. I just got back from Mexico, man. How's the tan? Actually? Yeah. Yeah, I did, man. I was just in Punta Mita, Mexico. I was there for the weekend. Yeah, some friends. uh, At the end of July, I have all these friends um, that have birthdays at the end of July. And uh, every year, there's always something big that happens. And uh, I was slammed with work. And... uh, going through some bullshit with my girlfriend and just need to get the fuck out of town. And uh, I did. And it was everything that I needed it to be. Um, hence the tan. And uh, my liver took a little abuse as well, but we're back in business now, man. It's good to be home. Now you're back on the sober train. Yeah, man. Start, starting now. Starting now? Man, it's so funny because uh, <laughs> earlier I was like, shit, maybe I should crack a beer and have a chat with Reno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, we'll just pop some alpha brains instead. Well, dude, I forgot that. I mean, hockey's <laughs> hockey is starting Saturday, yeah. right? So it's like, what better time to sit there and pack a lip and just fucking crush some cold ones sitting dude, in front? Tell Especially me about it. six games a day. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And yeah, it's. What are your thoughts about the fans, the fan situation? I mean, not being any? Is it like. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, playing the game, it's especially in the playoffs. I mean, shit, you get like, part of it is that excitement. Part of it's that noise, right? I mean, I wonder how is that going to affect it? It's got to a little bit. For sure. And I think the players, like the players feed off of that, right? You have a big hit and everyone goes nuts. And then there's like, so you're waiting for the next one. But as a a fan, (laughs) like as like a real, real fan. And I know like you being a player, me playing like, the sound, hearing the puck being passed and everything, man, is going to be such a different experience for a lot of people that understand the game. Yeah, and I heard they're going to do a delay on swears because everyone's going to be like, fuck. Oh, for sure. Like, but, that's but the best it, part. Dude, if there was another channel that you could listen to everyone mic'd up during the games, I would subscribe. I don't care what it would cost. Oh, yeah. I would subscribe to that. Just to listen to everyone chirping at each other, man. Could you imagine? Dude, that's such a good idea to have that option. Just to pay a little bit, to pay a little bit more to just have it like, like all the shit talking. Yes, exactly. Like, you know, if you don't want to listen, don't listen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, they could even do that with fights too. Be like, the only time you'd see it all is in live. But if you're, if you don't want to see the fights then they cut it out, but then it's, it's for like a paid thing. So you get like, it's like encouraged more or something to fight. Well, the, the funny thing too, is like the hockey slang. Like half yeah. the people that don't understand, they wouldn't even know what people were saying. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like ha- half of the shit that gets thrown out there aren't real words and they aren't real sayings. Yeah, I know. You it's know? crazy. You grew, up, you grew up in Detroit, right? So you're, uh, I did, man. you're in the hockey town. Yeah. Talk, us, talk us about what it was like for you growing up there, man, because that's, uh, that's an interesting city. It is, dude. And, and I didn't grow up like in Detroit proper, right? Um, but in the suburbs and in and around it. And uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. He had an asphalt company. And I feel like we were in and out of the city often. But it was, it used to be a very scary place, man. Like everything that you have heard about how gnarly the city is, that's what it was. And there was times like when we were growing up and I first started to drive when I was 16 years old, like you were told, excuse me, if there's a red light and you're in a dicey neighborhood and you're white, drive through. Like, don't even stop because it causes more trouble for you to stop and get into some shit than you run in a red light when there's no cars around, like late at night, you know? 
Wow. Yeah. Because we used to go over to Canada to Windsor yeah. all the time because you could drink there when you're 19. Right. So, so we would go across the bridge or across the tunnel and, um, and go party. So we'd always be coming back during those times, which on top of, it wasn't necessarily scary, right? Because you're coming back hammered and they're not looking specifically for like a bunch of young kids driving through the city running red lights. So it's kind of like a rite of passage until you got into the suburbs. Yeah, right. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that must have been crazy because Detroit, Detroit, I have this, I think we might have talked about this before, but I, I, there's something about that city growing up. It's like you see all the movies as it just being such a fucking hard spot. I just, I couldn't believe that it was actually like that. Yeah. Like, like, in, was, like Eight Mile and like Four Brothers and stuff like that in movies like that. You know, what's funny is like the Eight Mile Road basically runs across the entire length of the state. But there's a little section in Detroit that that is the border when you're going from, I mean, several different cities into Detroit that kind of borders it. My mom lives on 11 Mile in Warren. So all the mile roads um, kind of like divide cities. But yeah, Eight Mile also is fully loaded with strip clubs in certain parts so like that's where you have to go uh i mean you don't have to go but if you're into strippers that's where you, that's the place where you go to hit up all the bars they're all on one strip and that's where you'll see a lot of the athletes and stuff after hours so there's certain parts of it that are dodgy like you see in the movies and there's certain parts of it where there's economy that drives people there which is also why it brings crime you know you're bringing drunk people there late at night so of course people are going to try to take advantage of that situation you know that that's if that's what they're looking for yeah. How did you, so what was your, what was your path like growing up, man? Like, were you, were you a bad kid? Were you a bit of a shithead or talk us through that, man? Cause I, I always love to hear because you see somebody now and the way they are and it's like, fuck man, we don't know what, you know, it's so interesting to hear about where they came from. It's uh, yeah, man. Walk us through that a little bit. Dude. So I'm the youngest of four and uh, my brother's like, my brother, I, they used to beat the fuck out of me and I deserve, and I deserved it. I was a little dude and I had a big mouth and I still do, but I did not choose <laughs> the easy route. You know, there are so many things I could have done differently that would have made things um, easier for me. And uh, no, so I was the youngest of four and my older brothers were like smart, good looking athletes. So like the bar was set pretty high and I was small. Um, and I'm still not very big, but I was feisty. Yeah, we grew up blue collar. My dad had an asphalt paving company at a really young age. It was manual labor and hard work. And my summers were spent, a lot of them, shoveling asphalt um, and doing real hard shit work. And we all did, right? And my dad, that's how he grew up. His dad started that business. And that's all he knew. So that's all he knew how to teach us. And, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't fired at least you know, a dozen times before I just decided to pack it in and be like, fuck it. I don't want to do this shit anymore, you know? But yeah, I remember, uh, I remember getting a shovel and being told to go to work and showed up and got fired. And uh, I remember one morning my dad woke me up and he threw like a giant bucket of water on me in bed saying, and I had just gotten fired the night before. Right. So the next day I'm thinking I'm sleeping in, like chilling with my buddies in the pool and shit. No, ice cold bucket of water in bed, dead asleep. And I just remember hearing, get your fucking ass up. You're coming with me. And oh, I was man. Like, I was like, oh, fuck. Here we go. This is going to be a day. We're already off to this start. I'm going to be getting screamed at all day long. But yeah. 
You know, I truly believe that the yelling and all that shit was out of love, man. It wasn't, it was, he just didn't know any other way. And for the longest time I did have, I struggled with that, you know, mm. like not only did I not, did I question whether he loved me or not, but it was like, does this dude even fucking like me? Um, and, and he does, but that's just, it's part of his upbringing. You know? It's part of his DNA. Yeah. I think a lot of us in our, you know, we're around the same age, I think. Right. What, yeah. how old are you? 39. Okay, so you're 81. Yeah. I'm 83. So same same uh same era. And that's how everybody I feel like even in, as coaches and teachers like that's how everybody spoke to young young kids like like especially in sports. Like yeah. it was like yelling and and it's crazy cuz I mean that's all I think that generation knew. And you're like like I know my dad would do the same. And now looking back, it's, I wonder like how much did that affect us in a way? I mean, it toughened us up, but like sometimes it's, I wonder like all that yelling and screaming at that young age that I know I went through in sports and at home, I'm like, fuck. Cause now that we know how much shit gets like ingrained into your brain at such a young age, I wonder like, does that, is, is that what's creating the anxiety? Like, like, why, how has that how has that affected you do you think i mean it's it's everything to be yeah. honest and and it's look like i f- i am so grateful for having that mm-hmm. upbringing right because i hear this like um keyboard karen type fucking soft mentality and like you can't say anything anymore and you can't do anything anymore and it's turning the entire society into a bunch of fucking pussies man like how if i don't tell you that you fucked up how are you supposed to know man as your friend it's my responsibility to be whether whether i love you or hate you it's somebody's responsibility to tell you that you fuck something up because you are owed that that chance to make it right the next time you know what i mean like that that like when you when i fucked up when i was a kid i did it once and i never did it again or I did it again and I didn't get caught. Yeah. Either way, it made everyone else around me's life easier. And I, I took that responsibility upon myself. If I was gonna go fuck around and I got caught, I knew what was coming. And all my parents wanted, I think, was for me to not get caught because it made them feel like they were bad parents or mm-hmm. look bad on them. So it was my job to make sure not to do that if I was gonna be a shithead. And I was a shithead a lot, dude. And thankfully yeah, my too. friend thankfully I had friends that were like I mean, great dudes, but complete fuck-ups and idiots. And they were always getting in trouble. They were always, like, getting arrested. or always, Like, there was, like, three people that I remember growing up with that whenever, like, house parties got busted, they were the only three that always got tickets. Like, there's always those people. So as long yeah. as, like, that was my baseline. As long as I'm not them, I'm fucking winning. And it's not that hard to be just not last. Mm. You know, you don't, ha- you don't have to be the best you just have to not be last in some of these situations and you can still call it a w yeah that's true i I, I love the point you brought up about the keyboard and karens and i feel bad for the nice karens of the world but it's a fucking real problem right now man with with people people saying things and just getting like fucking screamed at and yelled at and censored it's like and, and nobody can make mistakes no like it's like nobody everyone's afraid to say things now because they'll get canceled they'll get 
somebody, somebody complaining or somebody, I don't know. It's, it's a really strange and like keyboard Karen is probably the best, <laughs> the best <laughs> I've, I've heard in a while, bro. Like, it's so, but it's like, when I think about the, the best, the biggest lessons that I've learned was by fucking up. Yeah. You know, but also I feel like I was fortunate enough to when I did fuck up, I didn't have somebody screaming in my face telling me how bad I fucked up. They just let me wear it. And when mm. you have to wear it and when you just have to sit with it and no one says anything, it's like the time when your parents said, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Mm. Like how much deeper that cuts, you know, letting, yeah. you, letting you sit back and be like, you know what you did and you know what you have to do to fix it. And I'm not going to say shit. And even if you don't know now, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And you, and you did, man. I did. I did figure it out. And it sucked. Yeah. But I have those tools now. Where do you think the, fine, the, the middle ground is, like the happy medium, where it's like, because now it's like con, the complete opposite. Like yeah. you, you can't say anything to kids anymore. You can't scream. You can't do anything. You know, I got buddies that are coaches. And the, and the, whole, the whole philosophy has changed now. How do they do it? Like, I don't, how do they, they do it's it? All, it's all about, man, you really got to get these kids inspired. Like you really need to like, they're just, it's a different world now, man. It's not, and that's what I, it, it fascinates me because that's how I, I didn't learn that way. I learned out of fear, which I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a way of having both, right? Yeah. I don't think the screaming and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's definitely I think it toughens you up, but like, I also think that there's like, there's probably a better way and kind of a medium way where it's not yeah. like everybody's a bunch of pussies, but like at the same time, like maybe it's not, we don't have to go as crazy on the screaming and stuff, you know? And like, I feel like, I don't know. I don't really have the answer to it, but I just feel like right now it's gone from one way to the other and it's gotten pretty bad now because People are, people are afraid to discipline. People are afraid to say anything. And that's, yeah. a, that's a problem. But the, also the other thing too that from my perspective and my experience is participation ribbons don't win fucking championships. Oh, fuck, I know, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in, in what happened when you were on the ice and your coach said, get the fuck off my ice, I don't want to see you. Yeah. How did that feel? And then who were you the next time you came out? True. They, they weren't doing it to be a dick, man. They were doing it because they knew you were better. And when you left, you yeah. knew that you were fucking off and you came back to show them, to prove to them how much better you could be. Totally. So some of, some of it is motivational. Like, you know, and some of it, you're just a piece of shit, right? There's bad mm. people. There's bad people out there now that are doing stuff that, mm. you know, I mean, but you wouldn't know the difference because everyone's so sensitive about everything. How are you supposed to fucking decipher? So true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's... But, like, when does it end? You know, like, at what point, like, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> or not yeah, worse, you know, they're just going to keep trending in this direction, I would say. I don't know if it's the, better the, or worse. The thing is, like, especially people that want to point fingers at others, man, like, if you're going to do that, you better, be you better be ready for when you fuck up. Yeah. This is why I, I you know, we all make mistakes and I'm, I, I, I don't like to point the finger at anybody because I think everybody makes mistakes. Everybody says things, everybody does things that they don't necessarily plan on doing and saying, and then it happens and they're like, oh fuck. You know, I know this in sports specifically and so do you probably. Like when you go out on the ice, 
and, and, and you say, oh, I'm going to take your fucking head off. And like, say you hit him and you hurt him. You're not really thinking like you want to hurt the guy, but because of that, you said something and because you, you had some intention that it turns into this thing or you just, you say something out of anger and then everybody that doesn't understand the context of the game will jump on that person. And it's yeah. like, you don't understand. It's like, you know, where you, you get heated, you get passionate and think people say shit. And, and this happens in, in different parts of life too. And we need to be better at just fucking forgiving everybody. Be like, put yourself in their shoes. They may have done something really fucking stupid or said something, you know, but then, you know, could you make a mistake too? Like, are you ready to get the fucking fingers pointed at you when you make a mistake? Yeah. That's what people need to think about because there's no, like, that's why I'm always careful. I'm like, I'm not, I'm just gonna, somebody said something. I'm like, they probably just, they're, you know, kind of having a bad day or something. Try yeah. and cut them some grace because we all say stupid shit. Yeah. Dude, you know, this is, it's so funny. Like, again, it's not funny. The universe always fucking knows, man. And putting my trust in it yeah. more and more. Like, it doesn't surprise me that you just said that because the whole theme of my morning with some of my shit that's going on in my personal life has been around putting myself in the other person's shoes to try to understand the words that were coming out of their mouth and their actions and where that must have been coming from. Because I don't believe, I don't believe, and I can't believe anymore that humans are inherently evil. I don't think that people do shit just to be a fucking shithead. Yeah. I don't. I think that people do shit to hurt other people because they're lashing out, and that's not the problem, and you're not the problem, and I'm not the problem, but they need help getting to that problem instead of just being thrown away. Yeah. And it's a, bit, it's a big challenge to take on, and it's a hard thing to accept, but it's happened to me when I needed it the most from one friend. And I remember how much that that changed my life. And ever since that day, I've always tried to be that person for other people because you never know, dude, you never know who needs it. Right. And you never, and you never know who's going to take, like I was thinking about this yesterday. Right. And say that you don't reach out and say somebody is really hurting in you just think, well, they'll get through it on their own. And they wind up like taking their own life or some shit. I could not live with myself after that. When all it takes is a phone call or a fucking text to be like, hey, dude, if you need something, just reach out. I hope everything's okay. How hard is that? Yeah. You know, and, and, if you, and when I think about how many lives that could have saved or how many decisions that could have changed if somebody would have done that, like what school shootings would have gone away? What yeah. fucking you know, like mass murder situations or Unabomber, you know, suicide bombing shit, whatever. How many of those things would have changed if somebody would have showed that they gave a fuck? Because like you were saying earlier, man, mistakes happen and everyone's going to make them. And if you're not making them, dude, you're not fucking trying. Mm. Like you're not trying hard enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the, the best skills in life is to be able to put your emotions aside and just really see life through somebody else's eyes for a minute. Like it's, you don't, you're only seeing life through your own lens and your belief system. And, you know, I agree with you. I don't think anybody's born evil. I think it's so many people that have these, um, that do these evil things or they have hate. I just think there's so much ignorance. I just think it's such a lack of education. There's just, They've just been around these people for so long that that's all they know. And I'm not like saying it's okay, but it's like, 
I can't, I don't understand what it would be like to grow up in that, that thing. So for me to pretend that like, I know what that's like and it, it, I just can't do it. So like you have to have some grace for people. You got to be able to, man. I think you know? so. And even if you can't sympathize, even if you can't sympathize, you can't put yourself in their shoes. You have to, we have to at least start to understand that, yeah. that what the shoes they're wearing are different. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it may be, it could be a couple things, right? They're either like in one of the four agreements, right? Always do your best. Like if, if you were to, if we were to look at everything is that every single person is doing their best and their best is fucking terrible, but it is their best. Who the fuck am I to tell them otherwise? That's a great point. You know what I mean? Like I'm not in that position to be like, you're a fuck up. Your best sucks. You don't know any better because the next time maybe you'll do better. And if yeah. you beat them down, then they won't try again, you know? Mm. Like, and it's, I wasn't always, I didn't always think this way, but the more that I start reprogramming myself like that, the easier that my life gets and the easier that my life gets, the easier everyone around me's life gets better because I'm getting better and I'm rubbing off on each one of them and maybe I'm motivational. Yeah. And that's the fucking real change, man. Dude, you're, we're a lot alike in that way. Like I know I was never... I was never like that. I was always a victim as everybody else's fault. Why the fuck would they think like that? Fucking idiot. Like, yeah. Why would you, you know, and it's always, I know everything and they, they know nothing and they're, they're wrong. Now I, I don't look at things like that, man, because it's really interesting to, to understand and to, to think about like, what, what are people going through? Like, we don't know. We don't know what people are going through. And I think about even in high school or like in elementary school, it's like if, if you, if I was bull, I bullied, but I also got bullied. And as like a lesson for bullying kids, probably that's what happened. But yeah. I moved schools, but like after that, I learned a lesson a lot because, you know, sometimes that's the most lonely feeling in the world. And the, you're, the bully kids don't know that. And I think yeah. later on in life, you don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know if their mom's sick or their dad's sick or they've lost somebody or they're struggling with, you know, it's like, we really have no idea. No, man, we don't. Like, it's, like, like it's, it's really it's, challenging. It's interesting to hear you say that because from my perspective, I can't picture you being bullied. I could definitely picture you being a bully only because <laughs> like, but we're, we're very similar, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. what, I was the same way, right? So when I, by the time I came through the ranks, my oldest brother is 10 years older than I am. Yeah. So like my last name is Minestrelli. Everyone in the fucking school who the Minestrelli boys were. Yeah. So like I'm already was, scared hearing the name. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but like I had a reputation to uphold that I didn't ask for. Yeah. You know? So I like, but because I was like the youngest of my brothers and the smallest, uh, but also if I could be honest, like the toughest, you know, like, I was like, all right, so here's like, here I come through. I'm the last one and I'm going to be a fucking tornado. And I did some shit to people that I'm not fucking proud of, man. And yeah. I made, and I said some shit and I was always getting in fights. And like on top of that, like getting in fights and embarrassing people, but then getting away with it. Like yeah, what that's... a fucking, what a fucking piece of shit I was, dude. Like imagine yeah. being the other person now and being like, this dude like put me in a locker and bullied me with his friends and then like smash my drink and no one's gonna fucking do anything like yeah you know? well at least you're aware of it i mean yeah. that's what happened to me well I, I was growing up and up until about grade seven and i moved across the country to a different city 
And, you know, I had an older brother, my others in the city. So I was the same thing. And then I moved to another city where nobody knew me. I didn't have my brother. And it was like, yeah, it was just a completely different. There was a bunch of skater kids and I was not a skater kid. You know, I was like more of a jock kid and I just got fucking bullied, man. It was brutal because I, I, it was like, I knew that feeling it was like got turned around on me and it was a life lesson. It was really rough. How do you think like, is there like a specific moment that you can think of that like happened that you like go back to not to say like as a trigger, but like one thing or one dude that did something where you either like wonder how he's doing now or wonder how this moment changed how you do shit today. Man, all those guys I can think of are just fucking deadbeats now. Like I've, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Cause that really, my teen years really affected me emotionally in a lot of ways. And that was like one of the moments um, that that year specifically was a lot, but it, yeah, I just, um, I don't know, man. It was just a weird mix of kids. I grew, I moved into an area where like there was a lot of kids causing trouble. Like it was really, it was out of control. A lot of kids doing drugs and something I'd never seen before. Like this was a different breed of kids. Yeah. And I, I had come from like, from like a Catholic school where it was just there. It wasn't like everybody was behaved, but everybody was kind of in line and yeah. this was, this was the opposite. So I was just, it was, it was crazy, man. And, and it's in, and I, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to those days of being a teenager. Cause that shit was hard. You know, I can't imagine man that transition, but hearing you talk about that is like, I remember like in high school, I was like one of the, like bad kids like not that i i was i was friends with all the druggy guys yeah. i never really got into it but like the first time i got stoned i think i was like 12 mm. or 13 right we were smoking weed in the woods like super young same thing with like you know drinking beers and shit we'd steal them from the neighbor's garage we actually got caught once uh, my mom used to save my ass man she never let my dad know any of this shit this guy, if he ever watches this actually this is the first time he's ever going to hear this um which is fucking awesome but yeah like uh, i was in that group and i knew them um but i was also like through a form of rebellion you know it's kind mm -hmm. of like why i put myself there because i was also not the worst student but a pretty good fucking athlete too so i kind of like had that balance of like being friends with everybody which is interesting because when I say that out loud, like I still carry those qualities. Like I love bringing groups of people together and I was doing it then like completely unintentionally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're a leader, bro. That's a, that's, that's a good. Is that note. what that is? <laughs> well, it's being able to, it's interesting being able to kind of navigate your way through different personalities and groups and kind of like be able to connect different people. And cause certain people can't connect certain people. Some people it's interesting, you know, to be able to have different groups of people like that and how you can adapt. Cause I know what you mean. Like getting along with everybody, you know, some people just can't get along with only anyone but their group. But then there's some people that can somehow get along with different and they know how to flow in. They know how to like. Yeah. People. So yeah. When, when you're saying that, right, it's kind of bringing something up that we talk about in fit for service, right? And all the different masks that we wear at times. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, totally. this, this is happening in real time, like just right now of how many different masks have I worn and how many different masks do I still have to wear today? 
and the necessity of having to wear each one of those, you know, because the whole, the whole point of doing the self work is to not have to, I don't know, is it to not have to wear one? Is the whole point to not have to wear one or just to understand them? Well, I wonder if when you're in your truth and the mask comes off, if the qualities that you actually have would still appeal to everybody. Because I think if you are being in your complete truth, then everybody that you actually care about, or I feel like they're the right people come. Yeah. You know, I feel like we're for trying to overcompensate in one area, do more of this and be more like that and others, then we're actually, we're never in our truth. Yeah, no, that's a good point, right? And in order to make the change or to be, to have an impact, you know, maybe sometimes we do have to put on a different mask to reach out, to get in touch with that person and find something that's relatable, mm. you know? I find that a lot, man. And it's some, you know, I've talked about it a few times is, is, is our, our identities, right? Like for me, I have a lot of friends that, you know, I knew in the bars and the way I used to be and um, also, you know, new friends and, and with the new lifestyle, but it's very easy for me to, to kind of go back to that way and, you know, start speaking that language again and doing that dance again. And, you know, yeah. because it feels good because I got so much, you know, I reinforced so many times and got the, did was there for so long so it's it's easy to go back there but even though i know that's not who i really am that's not my truth my truth is is not that but at the same time it's i wonder is that a healthy way like is that okay is that healthy to be able to put on the different hats and the different groups or do we always have to be you know you know what i mean like what's I don't, like, is there, so, is, that, is there something wrong with that? Or can we be, how are we supposed to be in truth all the time? I, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Like, unless you're like, unless you're the Dalai Lama, then I don't know that you can, because you can't like, I, I feel like the only way that that works is if you don't live in the society that we're in, because mm-hmm. we have to like, you know, for example, like just coming up with an, an example, right? You, when you, if you get pulled over, right? You have to be the guy that the cop doesn't want, that the cop won't want to give a ticket to, right? But if you're not, and you're just a dick, or you're just being yourself, and you're like, why'd you pull me over? I wasn't doing anything wrong. Like, how many times has that worked out? But do you want to save 300 bucks? You know, like, but there are people that don't have that. And what happens to them? They're the ones that are always like getting in trouble. Yeah. So, oh. so it, become, it becomes this kind of a matter of like, how you can I don't want to, I mean, I caution at the, at this phrase of to use it to your advantage, but like social awareness and understanding your environment and how to, how to navigate through that with the least possible friction, right? The path of least resistance. This is how I get this cop away from my car. This is how I get the fuck to work. So my boss then isn't mad at me because I already have one problem. I can, I have a choice to either compound it or to make one go away and still make sure that shit happens. That's interesting. That's a great example. Yeah. I mean, sometimes is, yeah, is living in your truth, like being smart and knowing when that's smart to put a different hat on. Yeah. I mean, owning my own business, man, I have to do that. I have to do that with each one of my employees differently. And it doesn't like, it doesn't do me any good to be like, I've already told you this a hundred fucking times. What is your problem? Like, 
they are my problem, right? And I'm there to train them. So I must figure out a different way to deliver it. And that's what I tell them, even my employees when we're managing clients is, it's not a matter of how you operate. It's not a matter of what you're doing and how our clients should react to how you're doing. It's do we understand what they need and we give it to them in that way that makes it easy for them, mm. right? Because my way is right for me. But if my way, if the way that I'm doing things gets completely ignored by you, then that doesn't fucking work. I have to do it in a way to get you to pay attention. Not the way I want you to pay attention, but the way that you are groomed to pay attention. To you, what makes a good leader? Like who, who would you look up to and, and what are some things that you strive towards to be in your business? Your so, so there, I did this exercise a few years ago. It's probably been almost, I don't know, fucking it's got to be like close to a decade, man. I think like when the first Iron Man came out, because for whatever reason, I was, um, I was smoking a ton of weed and I was in a job that I was really good at that I didn't necessarily like, but I kept trying to think of like, what am I doing here? Right? Like, what is my, what am, what am I doing here? I'm paying bills or whatever, but like, no, what am I doing in this job? What am I doing in this world? And who do I want to be more like? And I didn't really know who I was, but I started thinking about who I admire and who I kind of want, who I think is cool rather. And the three people that are my three people that I will take to the grave of who I would love to build my personal brand and my personal being around are Hunter S. Thompson, Andre 3000 from Outcast, and Robert Downey Jr. Like when I think about those three people, like that to me is the epitome of fucking cool. So if I could be like them and as likable as they are, then I can pretty much do anything. I mean, I don't know. Has anyone ever asked you who your three favorite people are, or who who you would mold yourself around? I mean, should I'd love to hear your answer. Man, that's a great question. Um, I got to say, when I first started on this journey after sports, the first one to really plant the seed was Tony Robbins for me. He was somebody that was like, "Fuck this guy." what is this guy? Like, who is this guy? Like, how, like, you know? And he, he really, he, 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 yeah, man, he like did something where I was like, this guy inspires me, man. It was the first time that I had actually, you know, cause I was working in bars for a long time and didn't really have a lot of drive. And he just kind of pulled that out of me and, you know, people like him or they don't, but he resonated with me. And I think as far as leadership goes, like people that I looked up to in sports, I, I looked at the people that what I see as a good leader is somebody that fucking practices what they preach. They go out, they do the work and you just go, holy fuck, they are showing up. I need to do that. You know, Steve Eiserman, Mark yeah. Messier, yeah. like pe- people that aren't just the talkers but they yeah. go and do hardest worker in the room, the hardest worker in the room and, and lead by example. Yeah. Like that, that shows the heart that shows the character. We'll get like, into the shit. It's like Tom Brady. dude. I'm, yeah, I, mean, I, I totally, fucking, I hate him, but if he were to play for the lions, I'd have a Brady Jersey tomorrow. He exactly. He will go. And the example that, oh man, Brady's just not even human. 
No. Like under under pressure, like how many times has that guy been counted out? But you're talking about a dude who's like got a total dad bod, does not lift any weights, and has all these championships, and does it with a smile on his face, and does it with a sense of gratitude because yeah. he knows. Like when I listen to him on Howard Stern, I don't know if you listened to that interview, but you should. Because I will, hundred percent. We'll link dude, it in the show notes too, dude. Because he always said, like it's his job to make everyone else better. You know, like, so as that leader, if all you're focused on is, is filling in the gaps on everyone else's weaknesses, then you don't really have to be anything, you know, because mm -hmm. if everyone else becomes, then every, then the whole unit becomes whole. You're just, you're just filling in the pieces that all of these amazing people around you don't have. So you don't even have to be like one thing. You could be a multitude of different things to make the team fucking that much better. And when I think of leadership and I think of in my business or in my personal life or on my fucking men's hockey team, any of it is where are the gaps and who are, who are the strongest players and who are the weakest players and where do I fit in so the unit becomes better. You know, and that, that comes from also never asking anyone to do something that you aren't willing to do. Okay, and, that's huge, bro. And never, and never over managing somebody to keep them from failing, right? Because you could say all day long, don't touch the stove, that's hot. Don't touch the stove, that's hot. Don't touch the stove, that's mm -hmm. hot. The minute they do it, like, you never have to say it again, right? I, I learned that exact lesson. Like, my mom said that one time, like, hey, that's hot. Keep your hands up. As soon as she turned around, fucking tapped it quick. You haven't done that since. I mean, I was an idiot, so I, I did it because of that reason. But, you know, sometimes you have to let people get burned. Yeah. I mean, that's those hard lessons, right? I mean, mm. dude, in, yeah. my house, in my house growing up, there was nothing was child-proofed. You yeah. know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Remember the days when my mom was smoking in the other room? McDonald's, you could smoke everywhere. <laughs> yeah, right? My mom smoked cigarettes and drank coffee when she was pregnant with me. With me and with all my brothers, I think. And dude, it's so funny because my brother, Paul, um, he's also like one of my best friends. But he's four years older than I am. And he always used to tell my mom, like, if you didn't smoke cigarettes or drink coffee when you were pregnant with me, I'd be Jose Canseco. And like, he, awesome. still, he still says that to this day. And it's hilarious because he believes it. And he wouldn't have been, but he mm -hmm. believes it. And we fucking make fun of him all the time. It's hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's this, this whole thing about leadership and 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 you know what makes an athlete great and it's it's really interesting to me because i've been starting to think about that too and i've also said this before i think a good leader can also see the strengths in people and they know how to like bring them out if that person doesn't see them yeah right like <clears throat> i think it's important to be able to understand the awareness of your team yeah. to be able to know okay I need to do this more to this person. I know that they're capable of that, but I know they don't want to do that. But that means I need to figure out a way to kind of push them, to motivate them. And I think that constant awareness of your team, like you said, making them, helping them get better. That's your job. And that is the awareness of like what buttons to push and when. Yeah. And sometimes people don't see the gift inside of them. And for me, it was always the people, the coaches that, I could tell if they saw that in me. I could, yeah. and they give you that shot, and they're like, "Yeah, you're up," and you're like, "Yeah, they believe in me." And yeah. when they believe in you, and they see that, 
that's what happens. That's what happens in sports. A lot of times you'll see some, some guy that's just doing so shitty and then one coach will come along, give him a shot. Boom. He's, he's, he's the number one scorer or whatever. That doesn't just happen by accident. No, You've lit a fire in that person because you saw something in them and you allowed that to come out and that person got inspired. Yeah. That's what I feel like is, is powerful when it comes to leadership because not everybody can see people's talents. No. And you know who I, you know, I think of when I think in the NHL and, uh, I don't know why, but he always just pops up because I've watched his career blossom. But Wayne Simmons, mm. like Wayne Simmons used to be like a fourth liner to like a fucking point leader last year. Totally. Because, but they put him in the role of like, this is what you do. You sit in front of the net, you get your ass kicked, you're going to have this old school position yeah. and we will get you points and we're going to win games. Don't worry about anything else. Yeah. Like his career, like, cause he used to be, like, I mean, he was a fucking all-star dude and he was yeah. like a fourth line player. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It, but, that's how it happens. But also too, like the, uh, the point that I forgot with that was, um, if somebody's not good at something and if so you have one guy who's really good, like in my business, you have one guy who's really good at building construction, right? And I have one guy who's really good at spreadsheets. The construction guy doesn't have to do spreadsheets. The spreadsheet guy does spreadsheets and the construction guy does construction. So why have the construction guy waste two hours trying to do something that two of us can do in five minutes, yeah. right? The value in, in time and understanding those weaknesses and then having, having, have, understanding the weaknesses and the strengths and having those applied as such, right? How instead, do you- of, instead of making you feel bad for not being able to do something, feel good because you're better than all of us at doing this other thing. That's a great point. How do you, so what's your strategy for helping them evolve though? Like, okay, so you got spreadsheet guy or yeah. girl and you got construction or whatever the other guy, I forget. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, say you see something in them or, you know, how do you give them that polite nudge? Like, hey, you might be, you know, you say you want to grow, you say this and that. But how do like how do you without saying do this like how do you pull out something else to help them evolve because yeah. it's almost like it's a leader's job or you know I, I, same with my team you know they'll be listening to this and they're gonna be like oh, he's talking about us <laughs> <laughs> like how do you how do you how do you you know without just limiting them to that and obviously focusing on strengths but being yeah. like okay I want to develop help you develop as a human in all in other areas too without forcing them to do anything they don't want to do but at the same time it's healthy to grow it's healthy yeah. to learn new things and get better at things what's yeah. your what's your take on that I mean I as a leader dude I have to be really fucking observant like I have to be really observant and thankfully I'm a bit of an empath and observing is one of my strengths. So being able to sit back and you can tell me till you're blue in the face that I'm good at this. I'll sit back and watch and see just how good you are mm. and, and allow you to go through those motions and maybe I'll get some pointers. Maybe I won't, maybe you are that good or maybe you want to be that good and you're trying your ass off, right? But failing. So I'm okay with the trying my ass off and failing because it shows me that you give a fuck and you want to be here. So I'll put in the time. Mm. But what I can't put up with is when 
you people can't at times admit that they aren't good at one thing yet they won't say that to you but they'll just continue doing a shitty job of it so you take them off of it you know what i mean like there are certain people that do things half-assed because it's part of their thing that they have to do instead of just instead of just saying i hate doing this like can you take care of this for me which is way easier because then you don't have to check their work and you keep the quality you to keep the overall all quality of the business up and put them on things that they're good at or that they want to be doing right because you give them happiness you give them a home and they're going to want to show up every day and not dread doing the thing that they don't like doing yeah you know because very rarely do all of us have an opportunity to go to job and go to work and like what we're doing every single day you know it's called work for a reason so it's not always going to be enjoyable so as a leader how do we make it more enjoyable it's not. We don't get to float around on clouds and have rainbows <laughs> and butterflies. <laughs> no, no, man. That's that's after hours on psychedelics on my giant beanbag. That's that's when I'm able to do that, and I and I come back out a better person every time. That's my four hour vacation I give myself. Oh man, not let's, every day. Let's dive into some psychedelic chit chat. Okay. Let's uh let's go completely. Let's go from career to fucking psychedelics since you brought it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> Let's uh, w- talk me through, where do we even start with this? Talk me through your experience with psychedelics as far as why did you start in the first place? What, what put it on your radar? Yeah. And maybe, you know, how has it helped you? Yeah. Dude, the, so the, I remember I was working, before I started my company, I was working in a corporate gig and I was an executive director of business development, uh, executive director of business development for growth accounts. If that's not the worst fucking title you've ever heard, I don't know what is. Um, so I was really fucking unhappy, man. And I was really good at my job and I was excelling, but I wasn't happy. Mm. And no matter what I did and no matter how I tried to change things in my life, I wasn't satisfied and it was one of those, I was in a position where I was crushing everybody else and it still wasn't enough. Like the next was going to be VP and then president and then CEO. And the reason that I was trying to do that was just, I was looking for validation to prove that either I'm better than the next guy or I could be the best person in the room given the opportunity. But no matter how far I kept climbing, it wasn't, I wasn't feeling satisfied. So there was an emptiness within myself that I avoid I couldn't fill, if you will. And I was listening to um, Aubrey Marcus' podcast on talking with Joe Rogan and Brian Redband in 2013. And he was talking about, Aubrey was discussing about how he just got back from ayahuasca. And before he left, his name was Christopher. Christopher died and Aubrey was born. And I listened to this like around 2015, I think maybe, um, is when I finally heard it. And I was immediately drawn to ayahuasca. I was like, what is this? I, I, I couldn't even spell it, right? So I, I was trying to Google it and I didn't even know where to go. Like, I, I, like yeah, like I couldn't figure it out. So yeah. um, I, I heard him say Spirit Quest. So I looked into Spirit Quest. I went down the fucking YouTube rabbit hole, found out who Don Howard was, um, and found out what it was, and did all kinds of research. And 
I remember seeing the like, you know, all the purging where you throw up and shit your pants and all this stuff and you got to go down to the middle of the Amazon and it's like a gnarly whole experience. And I watched a few documentaries and scared the shit out of me, but it kept getting, it kept popping up for me. Ayahuasca, ayahuasca, ayahuasca. And I was like, I was so intrigued that, you know, fast forward to 2017, um, no, 2000, I started my business. Yeah, 2017. So um, just about two and a half years ago, I was planning on going to do ayahuasca and it was going to be in August. It would have been, I think, three years ago today or, or not three years ago next month. And um, I like shit hit the fan with work, right? I had just built the telecom network for Coachella, which is the single largest grossing job that my company had ever had. It was almost $6 million. And I was personally there to build it. And Telecom had never had their own um, private network, or uh, Coachella had never had their own private network at Coachella before. So the whole idea was to increase performance because this venue handles in three nights more uh, data transfer than Super Bowl and the Super Bowl media week combined in three days. Just a huge challenge, right? In I fucking closed the deal. I sold it um, and I delivered it. And after that was done, I was going to this pool party out in Palm Springs and I just fucked off for a Friday. And my boss called me or the CEO of the company called me who never liked me and he still doesn't like me. Um, he's tried to sue me several times since I started my own company. And we're talking about, I'll be lucky to do close to $2 million this year in revenue. And this is a four or $500 million revenue business who's suing me. So, I was so fucking pissed off at the conversation because after I just closed this deal, he's pushing me to make more millions and more millions and more millions. And I was try trying to celebrate. So I called, I tried to call Don Howard down at spirit quest. I was booked for August and uh, I just had to leave now. Like they had a, they had a um, ceremony that was starting the following Monday, emailed him. And I was like, um, Don Howard, I am in some deep shit. I can't wait another month. I have to get the fuck out of here now. I'm being called to ayahuasca. Do you have an opening? And in true Don Howard fashion, man, of course he did. And of course they made space for me. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life because my life has not been the same since. And the reason why, dude, the reason why, man, was I got to see things. I thought I knew what my issues were. And I used to be extremely prideful. It was like, I got this. I know what the problem is. I'm just going to go figure this out, maybe have a trip. Dude, the depths at which that medicine went into the depths of my soul and brought up and showed me and some of the things that I had forgotten ever existed. Um, I'm talking deep, deep trauma that I didn't even know that I had uh, was so free. And it changed my life forever. I mean, when I came back, I, I haven't seen the world with the same eyes ever since. And I don't even know what eyes I'm even looking through them at now. But the freedom that I was given through those four ceremonies has just given me the permission to keep exploring with more and more psychedelics and becoming more and more free every single time that I consume them. Oh, man. That's fucking... I'm... I... And ayahuasca is something that it's just been same with me. It's been popping up and just never, never pulled the trigger in time before COVID. And I, I regret it, but it wasn't obviously the right, right time. Sure. 
But dude, like, so walk us through a little bit. So was it really, did you, because, you know, because I was watching a few people's different, different experiences. Like one night is, is really pleasant. One night is like the depths of hell. And then one night's pulling it all together. Or how yeah. is it for you? And like, can you, what, what can you, can you talk about <laughs> that? Because yeah. I don't think yeah. I've gone into detail with ayahuasca yet. With, on no. the show. We've talked no. about it, but like not like the, the depths of it. So this is like, this is night one. I knew that I was in for it. And I knew that I was never going to be the same again. And I'll tell you exactly fucking why, right? <laughs> so <laughs> she has a way, man. These plant medicines have a way of setting you fucking straight. And not to get off topic, but that's what I love about them is like to bring it full circle, dude. Like it is, there is no participation trophy. It is the smack in the mouth that you need mm-hmm. to get you right again, right? I mean, that's what it is for me. And, and so night one, so at Spirit Quest, you sit in a maloka. It's a circular room in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. And, uh, and at one end of the room is a mesa. And that's a table that has all of these trinkets and stuff from all the other shamans. There's human skulls from shamans that used to practice there before. Their actual skulls, teeth, uh, animal bones, crystals, all just like woo-woo type shit, right? And then the painting behind the mesa of all of the different um, spirits that the ayahuasqueros invite into the room as like an introduction when you drink. So you walk up individually and then you pour your intention into the cup and then you sip. But before that happens, Don Howard looks at the ayahuasquero and he does this, like he looks at you and he sees your energy and he breathes and he sinks into your energy and he understands what you need. And he tells them how much to pour. That's fucking crazy. Dude, it is crazy. And I watched this happen, right? So there's always a purge with ayahuasca. There's not always a purge, but typically there's a purge. Throwing up, shitting your pants, sweating, whatever it may be, right? So you're given a bucket. And uh, I was second to last to drink. So it's a circular room. So it starts behind me, and it goes counterclockwise, and and that's the back row. Then there's a back row of beds on the wall. Then there's an inner row of chairs. So I'm in the inner row, and I thought I was drinking second because I'm two chairs away. I'm drinking second to last based on the rotation that they went in. So by the time it comes around me to drink, right, second to last, the first people that drink are already purging, right? This is like 45 minutes. And there's this old dude behind me named Larry. Larry from Boston. I fucking love him. He wound up being the cool, one of the coolest people that was there. And he's throwing up. And I'm a child. So like fart jokes and like throw up and stuff makes me laugh. And there's a – it's like seriously – He's throwing up behind me and he goes like, he's going like, oh boy. Like every time he throws up, he's letting out a, oh boy. I do exactly what you just did, but I'm doing this for five minutes. And something said like, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, and I could feel it. So I went up and drank and my first night with ayahuasca, was the most miserable fucking night of my life. It felt like six hours of the worst alcohol poisoning that you've ever had. No fucking visions, no nothing, just curled up in fetal positions, sweating. And bro, I'm telling you, like if you take a glass of water and dump it over your head, 
that is the sweat dripping off my elbows, off my chin. Brother, I'm fucking soaking wet and wow. miserable. No throwing up, no nothing. And I'm listening to everyone else and it gets quiet and people are leaving the room because they've shit themselves and I'm just sitting there in fucking misery, right? At the end of the ceremony, how you know the ceremony is over is they light a candle. So, so, so they light the candle and your boy all of a sudden now has to throw up. Everyone is watching, all eyes on me, candles lit and I grab my bucket and I fucking go to town. And I can't stop. And it's like guttural because you don't have anything in your, in your system. So it's guttural dry heaves of just like over and over and over again. And everyone else had already gone through their shit. I'm the only person in the room and the candle is right here. And I was like, and right then I just heard like, told you. Like that's the message I got. And I was like, Reno, you motherfucker. Like you here you go laughing at this dude and here's your payback. That was my first night with ayahuasca. And the next night, I can tell you, man, the ceremony, my approach was very different. I was not laughing. I knew it was not a joke. And I was fucking scared. Hey, hold on. So did you, what was your dieta like? Were you prepping for, you didn't have time to prep for it, right? So that must have had a big, big effect on your de- almost detoxing yourself, right? It's like if you didn't <sighs> do the diet, she's going to fuck you up kind of thing. Yeah, um, but at that time, I had a pretty clean diet. Like outside okay. of like booze, I was eating relatively clean. Um, and I did, I had like, I think I had like nine days to prep. Okay. And, uh, and I did do, yeah, maybe a week, nine days, something like that. But I did start, um, I did start practicing that, but I was eating relatively clean and relatively healthy. You know, it wasn't uh, mm. the fucking Taco Bell that I've been scarfing down uh, lately. So I don't, but I don't think, I think the dieta is more for people who eat the four meals of fast food like mm-hmm. a day kind of thing, you know, right. because it's, it's like kind of tailored to the, to the traditional American diet, unfortunately, as we know it today. But my, so I, I had four ceremonies. My second ceremony was very different and I went in terrified. And again, these plant medicines, man, she knew, and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And it was, the message was like, now you know that I'm for real. Let me show you the beauty and, uh, and let me show you what loving yourself really feels like. And that was the first time in my life that I'd ever felt that. And it was so fucking special. And it's one of those things where like muscle memory, like if someone, if you're not stretching right or if you do a lift a certain way and someone just corrects you, you know, and all of a sudden the weight gets heavier or the muscle starts to stretch a little longer, that's what it was with my heart and uh, feeling it open, physically feeling it open and physically seeing the light of what I'm capable of and the love that I have within myself has been motivation from that moment on to try to live with that every single day. And I don't do the best job of it, but now I know it's possible. And now I know what it feels like. And when I get back there, I'm, I'm the best version of myself that I can be, which makes everyone else around me better. And that's enough fucking motivation for me to suffer through some of this shit. Yeah. So did you like, what, what kind of things, what did you see when someone, when she's like, I'm going to show you how to love yourself? Like what did, uh, can you remember or is it more of a feeling or is it visual? Like what did you see when, and how does, so it was, did you think like that? It was, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a thought, 
right? And, uh, and it took me a while to figure that out. But Don Howard's, one of his famous sayings, and there are many, was his head is his office and his heart is his home. And he goes to his office as few times a week as he has to, right? So basically the message is just live in your heart. And I'd, I had always been here. So I heard it and felt it here, which sounds very different and feels very different, but it's still the message that you receive. Um, but I remember, I remember I was sitting there and I had purged right away. And when I purged, instead of being miserable like the night before, it felt amazing. Like I was smiling as I was purging. And I'd never had that before in my life. So I knew something was different, you know? And uh, as I sat back, like, I just felt like I was being hugged. And I just felt like I was being loved. And I was like, oh, this has got to be it. And in that moment, when I started to relax, I realized that Mother Ayahuasca was showing me how to love myself. Like, this is what it feels like. There is, you don't need physical touch, but this thing that you're feeling, I'm showing you what it is, but it's just you doing it. I've just given you, like, I've just kind of walked you here, but you're doing this. And then I kind of like, I remember like laying my head back and I saw with my third eye, a beam of light, like a keyhole of light. And I just kept breathing into it. It got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, it just, I just started getting warmer and warmer and warmer feeling and like more love and no stress and not worry. And don't worry about last night. I got you now. Like, this is why you're here. And everybody in the room, and there was like 25, 26 people, everyone in the room then became like a beam of light. And everyone was different colors. And it came into the room and it, in the center of the room, it turned into like a tree. And that's where I got this tattoo from. And everyone came into a tree or a vine or something. And they started twisting together and went up through the sky, the ceiling of the Maloka. And I left my chair and went into that tree and straight up into outer space or into whatever. And I remember just thinking like, holy shit. And then I was right back in my seat but I felt the wind and everything. Wow. Like I, and I was, and then I was like, this shit is for real. Like, so I feel like she has to, or all the plant medicines have to give you that moment to like, you're on the fence of believing if this is bullshit or if this is real. And I'm going to show you that it's real. So you believe. And then once you start to believe, that's when you allow, that's when you allow yourself to surrender. And that's when the medicine can really work. Dude. Wow, powerful. <laughs> it changed wow. me it changed me forever, man. Because and I, I think I think there's so many of us that are kind of like, is it real? Like we know it's real, but like you're right. Like the level that she needs to show you, like, look, this is fucking real. Yeah. Like and I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like it was literally like I you're still hesitant. Let me let's take away some of that hesitancy and here's how. Is it completely different than, than doing like a mushroom trip? Like when it kicks in, not completely, even the same, not even complete, the same. Completely. See, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't know. I can't, I can only think about what I, what I've seen, you know? So it's like so, so hard for me, for me to like real, to understand. 
So in, and I would be, I, I'm pretty confident, man. And I only did it four times, like in four times in one ceremony. So I want to go back next year. And I've actually talked to um, Parker down there to do a fit for service group next July. I'm just like our own private group. And he's totally on board with it. When I do it again, I think the work that I'm doing in the interim with the mushrooms and the bufo and, you know, even some LSD here and there, right. All of these other things, um, all these other medicines I use ceremonially, I think are going to allow me to connect with her on that much deeper of a level next time because it was all so new for me. But the reason I started doing those other psychedelics is because that was my introduction and I understood how much that could change. And these things now are accessible to me here, you know, mm -hmm. so I can use those and I can have those experiences and I can have those ceremonies in the States without having to go back to Peru. Mm -hmm. But the, like the transgression, I guess, like you were asking about like how all the different ceremonies work, that one was so, that my second time was so loving that the third time I feel like, the second time was like now I believe, the third time was when I really got like lessons and I was shown some trauma and um, because I had trusted, you know, I, I was given that, I was given the ability to start to trust for the next night and the third night dude the third night that like it was it was fucking powerful and it was painful but it was pain that i needed to experience and it was it was repressed memories that i didn't even know i had like i had this childhood friend that uh lived next door and he and I used to get into a lot of trouble together and uh, a lot and a lot of shit that a lot of people don't know about, but we were, we were harmful to ourselves. Right. But we would go like garage, we'd call it garage hopping, stealing shit from people's garages. We got like, we got stoned together for the first time, stealing beers, all this shit. Right. And um, when we were in middle school, he got sent away or when we were in high school, he got sent away to military school. So we got caught with um, like a pound of like fake weed somebody found it in the woods and he took all the brunt. He took all the blame for it. And, uh, effectively that had this downturn downward spiral where he got sent away to middle school. So he ate that for me. Um, cause he knew my dad would have fucking killed me. <laughs> he knew it would have been over. Um, and, uh, we kind of like started drifting apart after that. And I kind of had to start separating myself from that. He went worse and worse and worse. And eventually, um, eventually he wound up dying from an overdose. And I remember, I don't know when it was, but it was quite some time ago, well before ayahuasca. And I had this memory fully suppressed. Um, but I remember my brother, Paul told me, he's like in, and my friend's name was Pat Cruz. And I remember my brother, Paul told me, um, did you hear about Pat? And my mom had told me, and I was like, yeah, man, fuck him. Like, I can't believe that he fucking did that. Like, if he's going to live that life, he fucking deserved to die. And I said that. And uh, my brother looked at me and he was like, dude, that's not cool. Like, you know, why would you say some shit like that? And he's right. You know, it's not, it's not, it wasn't the right thing to do. But in my third ceremony, I saw Pat and he came up to me and I hadn't thought about him in years. And he came up to me and he just looked at me and he goes, I get it. Like, I get it. You were right. Don't worry about it. And I didn't even know that it was something that I was worried about. 
but that release, like, obviously, even, like, to this day, man, like, I don't know. Like, so when we were talking yeah. earlier about, like, do we know what people are dealing with? Like, I, I don't even know what I'm dealing with. How can I fucking sit there and pretend like I know what other people are going through when I don't even really know what I'm going through? You know, like, it's just, it just has a, like, but it's not easy. You know, it's still not easy today to think about that moment, and I'm so far beyond that. Mm-hmm. But, but I've accepted it, dude. And, uh, and if I can lighten the load every single time I go through one of these ceremonies and come out lighter and come out lighter and come out lighter without having to pay for a therapist and sit there and listen to some bullshit, but I can just sit there and tune in to like my higher self and I can get what they equate like a mushroom trip to be like five years of therapy and five hours, then sign me up, man. I don't have five years. You know, I got five hours and I want fucking four years, 12 months, however many days and how many hours to fucking enjoy that time. Let's get it over with, you know? And that's like with, with Bufo too, man, one hour, you can drive home in one hour and your life has changed forever. It's fucking terrifying, but it's worth it. That's DMT, right? Yeah. 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 Why is it so, why is it so terrifying? because <laughs> you have no control man like it is a full surrender and it's scary it's scary for me um because it is the most powerful psychedelic there is and you it forces you to love but it also forces your ego to die or to take a back seat or to diminish whatever. What does that mean for the people that aren't that? Cause I mean, I'm asking these questions because some people haven't heard us talk about this stuff before. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, um, like, what does that mean? The ego die. So we, the best way that I can describe our ego is who we have either been groomed to be or who we now believe ourselves to be but that's not truly who we are. An ego is a version of ourselves that becomes a survival tool to navigate through this world, right? And that for me is tough and rugged and prideful and fuck you and I can do that better and I'm gonna fuck, you know, I'm gonna stomp you into the dirt to get myself ahead. Um, And our higher self is truly living through love and compassion and empathy of others. And that is how we were raised or that is how we are born, not raised like babies, dogs, like children. They don't see things the way that we see them. You know, we have to be groomed to change our view to get to where we are today because they have that, like you can go beat your dog for pissing on the couch right now. And in five minutes, he's licking your face and coming back and like wanting to lay on the couch with you and stuff. And they don't hold grudges. They don't see things in that way and bufo or 5meo dmt brings me back to that kid life and brings me out of this like you know this is a crazy fucking place that we live man like the the environment that we have to navigate day to day is harsh it's hard but it's created you know it's stressful and it's not the natural state of how i believe that we should be and we, lose, and we lose sight of that natural state. So 
the reason that I think it's scary for me, and I'm going through this right now because my last Bufo ceremony was just a month ago, is it almost it strips you, it strips me away to the point where I'm almost not equipped to deal with this world because I want to be those other things. Like I want to live through life and love and empathy. So I need to find that balance of ego and love. And that's kind of where I'm at now. But if you get stripped so much that you come out and you're in this world and you let people walk all over you, that's scary. You know, or if you become weak, you know, then you can't like, how can you be weak and a CEO and a leader and run this company mm -hmm. and be like, you know, the chief of your tribe. And you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but I've never, I haven't until recently really lived um, without my ego or understood how strong it was and what it feels like to be stripped down of it. And the last time that I did um, 5-MEO, I, I, a friend of mine went before me and I watched his transformation. And, and if anyone hasn't seen it, like you should definitely YouTube 5-MEO DMT or Bufo Oliveris ceremonies. And it's toad poison from these toads that only live in the Sonoran Desert and I can believe only be harvested at a certain time of the year. And it has this chemical that when you smoke it, it gives you the most powerful psychedelic experience that is known to man. Um, but it's an internal journey into your own spirit and it's an internal journey into the spirit world, which effectively some people say that that is what happens when we die. People talk about seeing the light or seeing the white light or going towards the light. I've seen that light with Bufo. And it's insane to say this, but once I have seen that, death becomes less scary. And if death becomes scary and dying loses its fear, then all you have is to live. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because isn't that what everybody's afraid of just dying? Because it's going to be this, like we are so afraid because we think it's the end. COVID, cancer, like don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't breathe that. Don't get out of the sun. Put like, you know, like everything is geared towards having a longer life and all that stuff is fine. But geared towards having a longer life or geared towards having a fear of dying are two very different things. Mm -hmm. You know, but my, so that's like a physical death, right? But I truly believe after having that experience that I've seen where we go when we die and it's fucking beautiful. It's magnificent. Like there's nothing to be afraid of. How do you know though, for sure that that's where we go? Like how, like you just. I know, I don't, but I believe that that's. Yeah. Well, that's that, what everybody says that, yeah. <laughs> you know? And you, you see God pretty much. It's uh we are God. We are God. We, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we are, we are all God and we mm -hmm. are all one and we are all, even if we aren't here, we are in that realm mm. and it's, and it's amazing and it's comforting and loving and there's nothing scary about it. But if my ego is groomed to protect me in this world, then in order for me to experience that world, my ego has got to take a fucking backseat. And in order for me to have that experience, right? And last time, um, I watched my friend um, take his transformation 
And if you watch the videos, again, they're, they're pretty gnarly. Like some people scream and cry and roll and tumble around and like all this stuff. And it's a very short period of time that that happens, you know, four or five, six, seven minutes or something that the journey actually is. It feels like much longer than that. Um, but it's very short, but then you kind of, your spirit comes back into your body and you're just kind of laying there for a little while. But I watched, I watched his transformation and I started trembling, like literally physically trembling. And I was scared to death. Like the phrase scared to death, I was living that and I didn't want to do it. And I almost was going to back out and I didn't not do it because I knew I had to. And that's why I was feeling that way. Like, because I was feeling so pushed to leave the reason that I knew that I was there was to force myself to stay because I was going to have an experience that I needed. And that's why I'm being called to that moment. So I went out with the shaman and uh, I was sitting on standing on the patio at Raven's eye Celeste's Celeste's place in Malibu is this house called Raven's Eye on the Cliff. It's a portal to several other dimensions. Like it's a fucking very powerful place. You feel it when you walk in. Um, and uh, John, the shaman came outside and he's like, are you ready? And I was like, no. And I was literally trembling. Like, I mean, like physically uncontrollably trembling. He's like, he's like, why? What's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just terrified. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, and I told him the reason that I, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. This is the reason why I'm here. Like my body is having this reaction and I can't let my ego win because my life, the way that it is right now is not what I want. I don't have that balance. And my ego is making me feel all of these things and I just have to trust in the medicine. And I don't know what happened. Like kind of like a blackout. I don't know what my physical body was doing in that room. Um, but apparently it was a lot of noises and a lot of rolling around, a lot of flailing or whatever, which is normal when you go through like what's effectively could be related to as like an exorcism. Um, but I was told that John had to give me like blast me off is the phrase, but he had to blast me off with Bufo four times when I was laying there and I was, and I was reluctant to inhale. And he told me that he came over to me and he's like, Reno, you need more. I'm going to do some with you. Cause he, he knew that my ego was so fucking strong that it wasn't letting me get to the place. Like it was fighting the medicine that I had to do four fucking huge doses, which I don't know what that means, you know, but, um, he told me that I was telling him, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And he forced me to do it. And I remember at one point, um, my girlfriend was sitting, was laying next to me and apparently she had just blasted off and he gave me my fourth dose and full spiritual geometry, full fragmented. It was almost like, uh, you know, like in like video games or like the old, I don't know if I forget the name of the movie, but like where it's like a computer generated sound explosion where like the noises are like, blah, 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 you know, like mm. that whole thing. That's what happened. <laughs> And it was all white. Like I was laying underneath, like I was on the inside of a disco ball is what it was like. And I, I felt fucking everything, dude. I felt, mm. I felt everything and I felt nothing all at once. And I remember having the awareness of, I don't even have to breathe here. 
And maybe that's where I'm getting like the death thing from. And people that were there said that I actually stopped breathing for a good amount of time. Um, and then they got me to breathe. They got me to come back to breathe. Not that they were doing CPR or anything, but when you do the Bufo, you inhale and you hold your breath. And I never exhaled. Um, but it took me to that blast off. Mm. And, and like, I remember, I remember either thinking or saying or feeling like, holy shit, like that kind of thing. Like I fucking, this is the thing. This is what everyone's been talking about. I haven't, I haven't been able to get there, but like it was so fucking beautiful that I couldn't stop smiling. Like the rest, I don't know. It was like weeks, man, but I didn't feel the same. And I don't know what happened when I was there. And I don't know what that transformation is. But it's interesting when you go through the integration that every single day you start to get downloads of that journey that you just went on. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to hear an experience of people when they go on this journey, they come back worse. Like it may be confusing or, you know, misunderstood or whatever at first. But over time, if you do the integration, you do the journaling, you do the meditating and you stay healthy. There's a lot of information in these other dimensions that we can go and gather that I think a lot more, a lot of people that were here before us and a lot more intelligent people than you and I are, no offense, have been using this. And that's how they're able to know everything that they know. You know, like Steve Jobs and um, Elon Musk, like all these people, right? I mean, look what it's done. If you haven't watched anything on Mike Tyson, like look at what it has done for him. Listen to him talk about it. This is a dude who bit someone's ear off and beat the shit out of his wife. Now when you listen to him talk, he's a different fucking human. Yeah. Like very intelligent. Do you know what I'm like? There's something to it, man. There's something there. And that's the intriguing part of it for me is that I want to know. I want to know what that is. The level of our capabilities. So much it's so much deeper than what we understand now. Yeah, fuck. You're next, brother. Yeah, I've (laughs) had so much resistance, bro. So much resistance. Well, why do you think that is? Um, could, could it be because it's my, ang- it's my anxiety? But could have you ever have you ever thought about that that resistance is because that's the thing that you need and that's why yeah. you're resisting it? Yeah, it is. I think it's. I guess because when I was young, I remember the feeling of getting a really bad panic attack for the first time from smoking weed i remember so i used to smoke a lot of weed when i was early 20s late teens like i played hockey and like i didn't start i didn't smoke a lot of weed until after but then i did a lot of like party drugs so a lot of ecstasy a lot of like i don't know what was in it kind of stuff it really messed me my brain up like bad three-day downs like and before that i was fine smoking weed had never got i didn't even know what anxiety was yeah. My, mom, my mom used to say, stay away because you're going to get anxiety from, from, from things like that. And, and all of a sudden, one day it started to come on. And when I drank coffee and then it always went back to that panic attack feeling. And I always was like, because I felt like I was going to die. And I felt like it feels like you're going to die when your heart's racing. And so anytime I ever got that feeling of that, almost feeling like I'm going to die, my heart raced, I like... It, it it would always happen whenever I 
played around. But when, whenever I drank, that drinking would numb that. I wouldn't get it anymore. That's why I gravitated towards it because any sort of like panicky feelings, same with MDMA or Coke or anything, anytime I got like that, like, <gasps> like it kicks in and I just drank yeah. and it brings you down. And yeah. same with mushrooms in the past. You get that like, ooh, and then you got to drink it down. And I don't know what it is. It's like this thing, like, I'm not necessarily afraid to die, but I guess I'm afraid of like getting stuck in some, some sort of like, Oh fuck, I'm in it now. And I'm, cause I know what it's been like in mushrooms sometimes. And it's so easy to really resist. And because I have the tools I have now, I can talk myself through it, but I'm afraid to get that feeling of like, you can't get out. You're stuck. And that is what I'm kind of scared of. And 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 i don't know man i it's it's i don't, I don't know you when know you're, when you're talking about like when you're talking about having that anxiety i know what that feels like and when you are saying it i now have that like i have that feeling in my heart that feels like somebody's just holding their thumb over it right now because I, I've been there and I'm just having a memory of you just saying that because I know what that feels like. I, I also did a fuckload of Molly and a fuckload of ecstasy and a fuckload of cocaine and it never served me. And uh, I had to do it. To, I mean, I, to the point where like I cannot even touch Molly. Like if I take one at a show like in Vegas or something with my buddies and just to like during the day to just party, I am fucked up for like four days. Yeah, like a full dopamine dump that I can't get back. I mean, I could shovel handfuls of five HTP in my mouth and it does nothing. But mm -hmm. the one thing that I won't do is like I don't ever go to through like Xanax or any of those no. antidepressants and stuff. You know, like me neither. I, I guess that's one thing that I kind of like. I love I love about myself is that if I made this fucking bed, I'm sleeping in it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I I'm the same. I refuse to take that. And now I've just learned to how to combat the anxiety. I know what's going to bring it a low carb, high fat keto diet. It literally goes away. If I'm not like I did the experiment, right? I went off booze, done it, went off coffee, good diet, dude, anxiety doesn't even exist. It's like, yeah. it disappears. <laughs> it becomes this thing of like, Whoa, what was that? what was that feeling I had again? And then boom, it comes back. If I'm drinking, that means I don't sleep well. That means I have a coffee and I'm like a fucking feel like a space cadet sometimes. Yeah. man. And it's like, I guess because I started drinking again recently and because back on the coffee, my choices to do things aren't as stable as they were when I wasn't doing that. I felt like yeah. a lot more like just level headed. And that's kind of the society that we're in. It's like, you drink, you drink coffee to get up and you drink booze to get down and we never really feeling anything. And, you know, and then you take a pill here and there, but you're right. Like you have to be able, if you're going to make your bed, you're going to put your body to that. You got to be able to like face it and to be able to get through that means lots of exercise means sweat yeah. like to know how to fix it. Yeah. Or Education. like, yeah. Or also letting like, don't bitch about it. Totally. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> You did it. And it's like, whenever I do it, it's like, and I still will do it every once in a while, but it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't sit there and complain like, Oh, I feel like shit. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I don't, I haven't earned that. Right. You know? Yeah. That's, 
one thing that if I could go back and change, which I know it's dumb to say because like everything serves us is like, I would, I would not do those hard drugs. You know, I would just be like, don't really need it. Don't like, it's just fucking stupid to do that shit. Like, especially when you're young, like, but we're all curious. We all think going and doing this stuff is going to be, and it's fun at the time, but man, if I could, yeah, anybody listening, like it's the worst fucking idea. If you haven't done that shit, don't ever touch it. No, but that's recreational stuff is different than, than what we're talking about. Like plant medicine. Well, well, plant. Yeah. There's a clear definition between plant medicine and drugs. Yeah. Like they're, they're not the same thing at all. No, um, there's nothing natural to any of those party drugs that we, that we have fucking partook in. Nothing. <laughs> Um, and the only thing, but the interesting thing is, is that the only thing that those feed is our ego. Like it makes your ego stronger. That's why you keep going back to it. And, and there's friends that I have that once I, they got into plant medicines and they do, and they're sober now, um, I guess, you know, sober relative, depending on who the fuck you're asking. Right. But the, you begin to learn what serves you and what doesn't serve you. And once you get a taste for what it feels like to live at a higher vibration with your higher self and how that positively impacts you every single day and everyone else around you. And there is no like snoozing your alarm four times. So there is like when you can greet everyone walking down the street with a smile and uh, you show up to work like with a smile, like with a smile on your face and you're happy all day long. That comes for me with sobriety. Yeah, same. Like, you know, and, and I love beer. Like, I love drinking. I think, I think, like, getting drunk with my buddies is like it's the funnest time to sit around and laugh and be idiots, and it's a release. Yeah. But I just have to question sometimes: it's what am I releasing? A release from what? Like, I'm re- I'm releasing myself from my higher vibration, so my ego can thrive potentially, mm. right? Which is the opposite of what my goal is, you know. And knowing that makes it easier for me to do these months off, you know, like you and I have talked about, you take a month off here, you take a couple months off there and then you can go back to it. But it's not, it's not an addiction thing. Um, it's a social thing, you know, and it's fun and having fun is good, dude. That's why we're here. Like it's not all, it's not all serious. We're here 80 years, which the whole thing should be fun. That's the thing that I get too. And I, I honestly don't think that, because if you can go without for a month or three and a, three and a half months or a year, it's not an addiction. But like at the same time, you're right. When I'm doing, when I'm off it, I'm like, oh, I feel great. But then you feel like you're missing out on a little bit too, a little bit of fun. And it's like, life's too short. And then when you do it, then it's like, oh man, why did I come back here? Like, yeah. it's, it's not that great. It's the like, balance. It's yeah. the balance, man. It's, I mean, universally balances everything right i was yeah. just talking about my balance from my higher self and my ego it's the yeah. balance between the fun and the work and i don't think that that balance ever stops and i don't think i mean it's getting easier for me and it's become easier in relative to becoming more balanced because i have the fit for service family like i have that outlet i have those people that there are so many other like-minded people that understand what i'm saying and understand the path that i'm on and i can share these experiences with and it's not some hippie fucking woo-woo bullshit, you know? It's like, it's actual tangible things that definitely impact your life positively and you can discuss openly without someone telling you you're a fucking hippie. Mm. And it's important, man. Yeah. 
Oh, bro. Well, probably, I don't want to take up your whole day here, bro. (laughs) (laughs) We went a little bit over, but I, um, you know, there's some gold there. Where, where, what are you working on? Where can everybody check you out? Uh, dude, um, first of all, thank you so much for fucking having me on, brother. I love you. <laughs> you too, um, <laughs> I, uh, I just started a podcast with some friends in, uh, in the beach cities here in California called I Don't Know Dude. You can follow us at, at I Don't Know Dude Podcast. <laughs> uh, Max Hodges from TMZ is on, my buddy uh, DJ Dick, Richard Podgurski is on, a few other local comedians uh, sit, around and, sit around and talk about all the crazy shit that's going on. We've recorded our first few episodes. Those will be coming out soon. Nice, um, man. Anyone looking for work in the telecom industry, hit me up at Protocon and uh, at Reno in Australia on Instagram, brother. What about your uh, plug for Taco Bell? <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't had the grilled cheese burrito yet, go fucking get one. <laughs> oh, dude. Dude, thanks so much, man. This was fucking gold. Love you, and uh, I love just, just all that stuff was so important. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to get to kind of dive into your your experience and i think it's really useful not i selfishly i got a lot out of that so i think everybody else will too man let me know if you ever want to run it back man absolutely man keep doing what you're doing thanks everybody see you guys thanks everybody if you guys haven't already make sure to subscribe to the podcast stay on top of the episodes monday wednesday friday and as always we'll be bringing the heat if you got value from this leave us a review on apple it's always appreciated and i love you guys we'll catch you next time 